Welcome to the Truth About College Admission podcast. My name is Rick Clark. I'm the AVP and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admission at Georgia Tech. And I am Brennan Barnard. I'm the Director of College Counseling at Khan Lab School and the College Admission Program Advisor for the Making Caring Common Project at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And this was a great episode. We were really fortunate to have Angela Duckworth with us. And um, Angela is on the forefront of character education, of national conversations about education with her work with the Character Lab at Penn and many other projects. And she has a great podcast herself. She does great writing. We're, we're, we've talked with her about her blog on Character Lab. And so I just think you are in for a real treat. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it was a really good conversation. And, you know, one thing I hope people will listen for is to your point, you just rattled off a bunch of her accolades and background and the things that everybody would be impressed by. But even somebody like that, I mean, the whole thing that we based this on was one of the blogs that she had written where she had some self-doubt. She was really questioning a little bit of was she good enough or being effective or maybe some of that imposter syndrome. And I just think for students in the college admission experience, it's important. Like she had this mantra of reminding herself, and you'll hear this in the conversation, I'm a nice person. She just kept telling herself this. And my hope is that students will basically be reminded that regardless of where you get in or where you don't get in, where you get a scholarship or who has some other result that occurs in the college admission experience, it doesn't change who you are, doesn't change what you're going to ultimately bring to a college campus somewhere. And I think that it's just important for people to be reminded, we convince ourselves that everybody else has it better, or easier, things are working out for them. And the truth is like, everybody's got their struggles, everybody has their self doubt, but we need to kind of like have that inner confidence that who I am is special and unique. And I'm going to bring that with me through all of this and ultimately to to college when I go and, and that's valuable. And we can all really benefit from knowing ourselves better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So enjoy the episode and looking forward to future conversations. Today, we are joined by our friend Angela Duckworth. Angela helped found Character Lab and is the Rosa Lee and Egbert Chang professor at the University of Pennsylvania and co-host of the Freakonomics No Stupid Questions podcast and author of Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Welcome, Angela. Hi, Brennan. And hi, Rick. Very happy to be here with you in conversation. Absolutely. Now, we really appreciate your time and um, looking forward to it. I wanted to see if you could just tell us a little bit more about, you know, some of the work that you are doing currently at Penn and I guess specifically how that might connect with high school students and some of the things you would hope they would get out of that work. You know, I started out as a high school teacher, or at least I, I spent half a decade doing that as a young woman. And before I was a high school teacher, I worked with students as a volunteer tutor. And I have to say, I have a strong bias toward young people, just like them a lot. They have energy. They often have this perspective that makes you think, why didn't I think of that? So in terms of my current work, fast forward, I became a psychologist, very interested in dimensions of character that were not the same thing as IQ. I have recently been teaching a class for high school students. So I've got high school students from Title I high schools across the country, and they are all learning about the science of mindsets and goal setting and how to make your studying and your practice, you know, whether you're playing basketball or or violin, like how to make that more efficient. And I, I will tell you that in this work, I'm just very excited about these really bright, energetic young minds mm -hmm. getting a hold of 
the science of character and healthy development. These kids really are smarter than we are. Right. We're great, but young people are just so sharp and so hungry to learn. And I guess what I'll just say, Rick, is that I think there is the potential for a revolution if we enabled young people to learn earlier about their emotions, their beliefs, their values, their habits, their ability to use that knowledge and to develop a little more, I guess I would say like just reflecting on my own life, maybe a little more quickly in terms of maturing. I think that would be a really wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you can uh, develop one of those for working professionals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I've had several investment banks and, you know, really large corporations say like, wait, hmm. you're spending all this energy teaching high school students twice a week. If you came here, you could teach our salespeople or fill in the blank right. executives and we would pay you a lot of money. But I have to say, this gets back to your first question. It's like, oh, you know, like you started out as a high school teacher. Like, yeah, I am biased towards young people. Yeah. And it's, I should say it's all being supported philanthropically by the Walton Family Foundation. And once it's refined, I'll tell both of you that we're going to make it freely available. So no charge to, you know, anybody in the world, but again, designed for high school students and their teachers. Great. Uh, well, and I mean, I know that you're focused very holistically on students and their development and how they learn and how that ties to character, narrowing in a little bit on college admission. And of course, this being something that a good number of students ultimately move toward. In the Character Lab, you write a regular blog and both Brennan and I receive and read that each week. And there's so much there for high school students. And I think particularly high school students that are ultimately becoming college applicants. You wrote one recently called Know Thyself, which I really enjoyed. You were talking about uh, your walk to and from the train station and you know just some of the things that you needed to remind yourself of. And I feel like there's a lot there for college applicants, whether it be a junior starting their college search, whether it be a senior who's waiting on decisions, maybe they've been deferred and they're waiting. Maybe they are just waiting on all decisions. Can you talk a little bit about that blog specifically and maybe how you feel like it does tie to the college admission experience for students? Well, I very much hope that somebody listening to this conversation will say, what? I can get an email in my inbox every Sunday with one science-based tip for me as a parent or as an educator, honestly, a lot of teenagers subscribe to this tip of the week, then that would make me very happy. The tip that you're referring to, Rick, is I wrote a story down that true story, you know, I was on tenure track, meaning I didn't have the job security that I have now. So I was just starting out as a professor, hoping at some point to get tenure to get this kind of lifelong job contract. And things weren't going very well. I mean, honestly, I was floundering a little bit. I was like wondering what my research direction was going to be. Some of the experiments I was running weren't turning out so well. And I was having a little bit of a crisis professionally, kind of existentially. I was like, uh-oh, this thing that I put all my eggs into this one basket, it's like maybe the basket has a bunch of holes in the bottom. And I found myself without anybody telling me to, but I'd be like walking to and from this train station where I would take the train to go to work and especially going home because, you know, going home was after the day where things didn't turn out the way I thought they would be. I would find myself saying under my breath, like, I'm a nice person. I'm a nice person. And it's weird, right? To talk to yourself <laughs> and also to say you're great. What was going on? It turns out there is this science of values affirmation 
that spontaneously, or you can encourage people to do this. You can ask people like, what is it about yourself that you most treasure? Like, what is the part of your character that you hold most dear and frankly are proud of? And on all those bad days, you know, where my experiments were turning out and I was confused about my direction, I kind of held on to this bedrock of the thing that my mother always told me, which is the most important thing in life is to be a nice person and that you can be a nice person even when your goals and plans aren't going so well, but you can be nice. I mean, you can be polite to the people who take your ticket on the train. You can smile at someone who, you know, total stranger across the aisle. You can like text a best friend and say like, hey, I was just remembering this funny memory that we had. Those are all things that are under your control. And to me, were important to my identity. And it is called values affirmation. It's not research that I take credit for. These are people like David Sherman and Jeff Cohen and others who have studied it. And I think the reason why that tip to me is just indicative of the sort of thing, you know, I would hope that a teenager or their parents or their teachers or their college counselors or whomever in their lives might learn something about is that when you think about college admissions, I think very much, you know, these young people are at this inflection point in their development when they're starting to ask themselves, who am I really? And who do I want to be? And what place do I want to end up next in this next chapter of my life after high school, where I can become even more that person? Research shows that those years, you know, the years directly following high school are some of the most formative in terms of long-term character and personality. So all of this is a way of saying that, A, we all go through crises, including me. Um, That wasn't the last one I'm going to have, I'm sure. (laughs) B, I feel like our values, our identity can be a compass for us. C, I think about young people, you know, in that transition from adolescence to adulthood as being at a critical time for those values to be clarified and affirmed. And finally, you know, just thinking about the young person who's like, terrified of what's going to happen in the spring, whether they're going to get into their desires go or not. I'll just share this other little bit, which is I was deferred from the school that I really wanted to go to. Okay. So I had my heart set on going to Yale and I don't know, I had dreamt about it. I made pictures. I actually still have the doodles that I made from when I was 16 or 17. Wow. I was like, this is the library at Yale. This is me. And when I was deferred, you know, I cried. I went to my guidance counselor. I thought life was over. I felt rejected. I felt stupid. I felt not good enough. And I will say this, that uh, I didn't end up going to Yale, but I do think if you can find that bedrock, if you can say one thing out loud, you know, like I'm a nice person or I'm an honest person, or I always give my best, something that affirms your values, it will, I think, help you weather the storms Right. Uh, that are inevitable for for every one of us. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the things that students really struggle with is this kind of comparison to other people and other applicants. And one of the things you write in that blog is instead of zooming in on your inadequacies, you switch to a wide angle view that includes your resources and opportunities. And I love that. I mean, it's just, I think it's such great advice really to anyone, but especially to students who are, like you said, at this point in their transformation and transition, when it's easy to focus on, oh, I don't have this and this person has this and I'm not enough of this and I'm not good enough. And so that, I think that's really huge. And you talk about some research about values affirmation and how people who get in that habit are happier, healthier, more hopeful. Can you talk just a little bit about that research? Yeah, and again, I don't want to take any credit for it. I feel like I'm like the Julia child of psychology. I get to tell people about other people's recipes uh, and techniques, but hopefully spreading them to a wider audience. So again, this research that was pioneered by not only Jeff Cohen and David Sherman, but also Claude Steele, who I think originally came to these ideas 
from thinking about stereotype threat and the experience of being, for example, in a marginalized racial group, um, like being Black, which was his own personal experience. So that long history is a way of saying that the way that this research kind of developed was in part to understand how could it be that somebody who would, you know, understandably have anxieties about like how good enough they are and do they fit in and are they approved of, like what's their status? That this research really grew up with thinking like, well, maybe one of the things that can allay those anxieties and sort of shore up your self-esteem and your self-concept when it's being threatened is to kind of fall back on those core values. You know, when you ask people, and I do in my own classes with undergraduates, I ask them to reflect on their values. I ask them to write a This I Believe essay. By the way, I think so many teenagers think about college essays with terror and kind of dread, right? It's like, ugh. The college essays. But I have this dream that this exercise of reflecting on who you are and what you want to do with your life could be like the kind of exercise I give in my own class. The This I Believe essay was developed by a journalist at National Public Radio decades ago. Some really, really famous people have written them and some people you've never heard of. But the essay is really simple. It just says, this I believe, and then you fill in the essay. That's all the prompt is, this I believe. When I found myself you know, writing this homework assignment, because I don't assign anything to my students that I don't do myself. So I wrote this, I believe, down on paper. And then you would ask what would come next? This, I believe, I believe in grit. Nope, didn't write about that. This, I believe, I believe in achievement. Nope, didn't write about that. I wrote this, I believe, down on paper. And the next thing that came out was this, I believe, I believe in generosity. And I ended up writing an essay about my mother and about all the lessons that she taught me about giving when you expected nothing back. And so this values affirmation, this kind of reflection on like, who are you really? And who do you want to be? When I did this exercise, I learned a lot. I read it to my mother, by the way, and we both cried, of course. And I think this kind of understanding that an essay, even an essay that you have to write in the context of your college application, which can fill you with terror and dread, right? Like I had too when I was doing that, can also be an amazing opportunity to really get to know yourself better. And I recently reread my own college essays because I have this printed out copy of it actually, which I ordered from the university. I was like, I want to see what I wrote about. And I could see that I'm sure there was a lot of crying and revision and like, oh my gosh, some anxiety. But I could see that I had that opportunity to reflect a little bit on who I was at the moment. And I think that was invaluable. That's great. You also, in a recent conversation, I know, um, mentioned your own daughter and also her friends and sort of having them in your house and seeing and hearing some of the things that they are concerned about and hopeful for and this kind of thing. So I guess I'm just wondering, you know, as we close out, since you've lived this yourself, of course, teaching students at the high school level, working with college students now, your own family also experiencing college admission. What is just a hope? I mean, we're still in January and the year is starting out and there's still, you know, I think an opportunity to frame what we wish would be. Just kind of curious if you could just say one thing to high school students, especially those either in the college admission experience at any point, like what do you hope for them? What do you hope they hear from you? I don't know if the students will care, but I will say this. I was becoming a mother when I was becoming a psychologist. So I was pregnant with my second daughter, my first daughter, daughter, Amanda, was just like one, I think, in my first year of graduate school. So I grew up as a mother and I grew up as a psychologist all at the same time. It was just all happening together. So everything I was learning, getting my PhD in psychology, I was also just watching happen right. in my two daughters. And now, as you say, right, they're older. So one is a sophomore in college and the other is a junior in college. Um, Amanda's the older one and Lucy is the younger one. 
And I do love having them in my house and I love their friends. And as I said, you know, my bias toward young people and their energy and their thinking, which is not stale and conventional. It's like, wait, that doesn't make sense. I think there's an easier way. Like, I love it. I get more biased by the day, right? Because the more time I spend with them, the more I just think they're great. I guess if I could say thing, I would say this. When my daughters were in high school, all anybody could talk about was where they were going to go to college. And it like blotted out the sun, you know, it was just like it consumed them, right? Mm. It's like, oh my gosh, if I don't get into fill in the blank, the world will be over, my life will be over, like everything is ruined. Like it's the only thing. And I remember trying to tell them like, you know, I know that seems like the biggest thing in the world, but honestly, random stuff, like who your roommate ends up being, (laughs) that stuff's going to matter more than what you think matters, which is if you got into the number one one choice, your dream school. And I remember when their college admissions decisions came around and some people were thrilled, but a lot of people were really disappointed because that dream school was not the school that they ended up going to. Well, I want to tell all the teenagers who might be listening to this, what happened two and three years later, because you're right, our living room is filled during breaks with these young people. And I can see the ones and I'm like, oh, I know she didn't get into the school she really wanted to. And I know this one did, right? There's no difference. None. The kids are happy or they're not happy, mostly depending on whether they've made friends. Mm. And that is not about the name of the school you go to. So I hope that this kind of all-consuming obsession, preoccupation, the pressure that is on teenagers, if, if I could just give you a note from what happens to you two or three years later, if I can just give you a postcard from the future, yeah. you're going to look back when you are 19 or 20 or 21, and you're going to laugh a little and you're like, oh my gosh, I was so obsessed with that. Right. And I, I didn't have the perspective that I have now. So that's coming. And I really do hope young people get to go to places that they're excited about, but it's really not as be all or end all as you think. Yeah, for sure. Well, I hope you keep singing it from the rooftops. Yes. We'll have a chorus. Yeah, that's right. Well, and thanks so much for all you do, Angela, and for joining us. Really appreciate it. Well, before I go, can I just say, I love that you're doing this podcast. And I know the work that you're doing in this podcast, outside the podcast. And I think it's so needed because there's not enough of this conversation. And I think you're doing a lot for the world. So I'm happy to be in this conversation. I'm grateful for all the other conversations that the three of us have had. And I'm looking forward to the future. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, again, a huge thanks to Angela Duckworth for joining us and also to our season one sponsor, Johns Hopkins Press. The press provides global access and delivers impact through publishing and distributing innovative ideas and scholarship. Johns Hopkins Press connects people to the most trusted knowledge from global researchers, scholars, and educators. To learn more about their work, go to press.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.